Welcome to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. We're your hosts, Mike Rapici and Barry Falk. Dr. Michael Rapici, how are you this evening? Dr. Barry Falk, I'm doing very well, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited, if not full of beans. I don't know. I don't know if we're approaching the B level here, but I'm certainly excited to be talking to be with you again to talk. Uh, this is our 51st episode, right? Mm-hmm. So it's special occasion still. And we're going to be talking about a recent New York uh, Times uh, op-ed piece by Denise Liu, who's a visual. Let me get the exact um, title of her position. She is a visual journalist at Bloomberg News. She has a wonderful, a very distinguished resume. She's also worked for the New York Times and for the Washington Post. The name of her op-ed is Want to Enjoy Music More? Our interest is peaked. Want to enjoy music more? Stop streaming it, unquote. Uh, I'll read the read the subtitle. With, yeah, please. Yeah. Build a real music collection. Reintroduce intimacy <laughs> to the ones you love. To no, the songs reintrodu- you care about. <laughs> reintroduce intimacy to the songs you care about. Uh, all right. And... Um, I guess it had this article uh, by Denise Liu had our attention as soon as we saw that stop streaming it. We thought, hmm, why would you do that? Why would you do that? And could this be a suitable material for critical media studies podcasts? And we thought, yes, it could. Absolutely. Yes, it could. So I think one of our general, I'm going to hand this over to the able. Uh, Dr. Michael Rapici in just a moment, but I'll say one more thing about it. So we're going to try to translate. Um, well, well, we're going to try and talk about the issues that uh, Denise Liu raises. As as we do so, I think we'll try to make an effort to translate some of her terms into terms that um, that get bandied about on this podcast and that our listeners, if you're a frequent listener, you're going to recognize the vocabulary in which we're trying to transpose or translate Denise Liu's uh, ideas into, because we think there's a way in which this argument or her predicament, maybe this way, maybe a better way of saying it is that there's a way in which her predicament, uh, her self-proclaimed predicament of her her disquiet or unease with streaming using music. streaming technologies in order to uh, process or plat- the platforms for streaming somehow are doing an injustice or doing damage to her appreciation of music, to her enjoyment of music. We're going to, I mean, that's one of our themes is what is technology doing to us? So in that spirit, we're going to yeah. think about Denise Liu. I think that I just, I just want to add one thing to that. We Please. we started the discussion this evening by saying, well, is this something we should talk about? And I think that is the aim of this discussion is to say, what is this, what does her position look like when we run it through, in this case, our, um, our most likely grid, Bernard Stiegler, right? right? So we're yeah, going to talk about right, this. And right. the, the I mean, it's all the usual suspects. I suspect that we will hit on... Uh, you know, our, 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 what, what have become our canonical fathers here. Right. But the, right. the, the, the idea here is that we're going to look at how 
her position fits in with the sort of theoretical bedrock of the things we've been working on. You said it so much more adequately and eloquently than so I did. So it's a, I'm ready it's, to, and I'm ready to pass this on to you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's not a long piece. It's short. And I will link a, I will put a link to this uh, article in, in the notes uh, on the, for the podcast in the show notes. Um, it's too long to read the whole thing, but I think that we really want to try and get the gist of her entire argument. So what I'm going to do is just read a little snippet from each paragraph, which I think outlines her basic position. Okay, so, ground rules, Dr. Rupici, ground rules. As you do this, uh, do we want to talk about it or no? We're no, we, I we're think, do I, all I think, the reading together. Yeah, here. let me let me okay, let me just say, hey, that. here's the argument, and then and then we can go. Otherwise, I, I like it. God knows where we'll go. Okay, yeah, okay. so again, right. it's entitled "Want to Enjoy Music More? Stop Streaming It." build a real music collection, reintroduce intimacy to the songs you care about. So she right. says, the only music streaming account I've ever had lasted less than 72 hours in 2012. She says in 23, I'm still building a non-streaming music collection. Fine. Um, she says that she came along. She says that she came along before Spotify took over the market and that she belongs to what is probably the last generation to remember what it was like to own a music collection that doesn't live in the cloud. She says, right. she, she says she does not like how streaming feels and that's feels as italicized. Like I'm only borrowing something for a while rather than having a hand-picked library of albums, digital or physical, that I've vetted and can keep forever. So then she moves on and talks about how she was using uh, iTunes in 2019. Um, and she says, I have several libraries across different devices and drives that much to my dismay, all differ from one another slightly. What I lack in portability, I make up for in security once I add something to my iTunes library. I have it forever. I have no fear of platforms removing artists or of artists removing themselves. Um, she mm -hmm. says that she started the journey in grade school and like her peers, she got around, um, I, I got around the new order via dubious means, importing CDs that she found at the library, downloading MP3s online, uh, sharing files um, and browsing state. Uh, she says she worked at a DJ at a music station at her college radio station, excuse me, shared files, browse the station's racks for CDs we could rip to fatten up our iTunes libraries. She moves on to say that she now pays for nearly all her music. Uh, she talks a bit about um, Bandcamp being her uh, platform of choice for MP3s because it is uh, most uh, beneficial to the artists. She says, if something isn't available on Bandcamp, I'll scope out used CDs to buy and rip. If I love something enough, I'll try to get the record. If it's out of print, I'll throw it on my wish list and cross my fingers for a reissue. Mm -hmm. um, goes on to say, and we're almost finished here, goes on to say that this isn't convenient. Depriving myself of, of streaming means there's no easy way for me to repeatedly listen to a song without a deeper monetary commitment. But for mm -hmm. me, listening to music is not about convenience so much as engagement. Um, resisting Spotify pushes me to actively find new music as opposed, as opposed to sitting through Discover Weekly playlists generated by an algorithm. Uh, tune into stations. Um, 
and go down the rabbit holes on YouTube, whose algorithm can still surprise me as long as I give it the right seeds. Um, mm. She finishes by saying the process of discovery has created a stash of albums that is dwarfed by Spotify's bloated world of curated playlists and anarchic algorithm radio stations. Um, I prefer it that way. When everyone has access to everything, nothing is stamped with the personal memories, the particulars Ooh. that hold our experience of music together. Ooh. I don't need the entire or the entirety of the recorded music at my fingertips. I just need the few curated albums that I cared enough about to collect. Having my own library means I can distinctly remember the context of every find. And that makes my intimacy with the songs I care about feel rich. So that I think is a fair summary of her argument. So just said very briefly, she's never been into streaming. She says that it feels like borrowing as opposed to ownership and ownership for her has some connection to um, memory and there's the value. So the argument that she makes about intimacy, um, very correct me if you see this differently. I want to just, let's revisit the title. Want to enjoy music more, stop streaming it. Build a real music collection. Real for her is synonymous yeah. with ownership. And ownership allows for intimacy in a way that streaming does not. Yes. And I want to return to two terms or two of the sentences, terms that I notice in two of the key sentences in her concluding, uh, the concluding portion of the essay. So there seem to be a set of oppositions that Lou is working with, right? Mm -hmm. uh, one of the oppositions is, as you pointed out, ownership. Right. Uh, I'm sorry, borrowing. And then there's this idea of ownership. And it seems that only on the ownership side, if you're doing more than borrowing the music, which she, that's how she redefines streaming music, that unless you stop borrowing and have some sort of ownership over the music, you cannot um, truly engage with music. So let me just reread briefly a part of the sentence that you read. For me, listening to music is not about convenience, which it is in the borrowing world, in the world of streaming where you're borrowing music. Right. So streaming it is about engagement. So something you wanted to say there? No, go ahead. I had a question for you, right? Go ahead. Here. So maybe, um, maybe we could stop right here before we do anything else. Let's see if we can sort of puzzle out together or think through together this binary and what we think of this binary that borrowing only allows for you to, what's the word? Uh, convenience. Borrowing is basically functionalizing music or right. instrumentalizing music and instrumentalizing music for your convenience. And a counter to that is what she's proposing, which is you're engaging with music uh, by collecting it. Mm -hmm. And usually well, collecting kind of shades into owning permanent copies of whatever you 
engage. Right. So, so do, what are your comments ahead. on? You know, no, no, that was it. I was just, do you like that sort of? Do I, I think, do you think I, I got think, it right? The, I think this, you have it binary? right. I yeah. have questions about this. Okay. Let's, and so, but this is what we want to discuss. Okay. So I want to just lay some ground rules here because this is something not, not someone, that's not right. It's not that I want to lay ground. I want to sort of self-disclose a few things and just make a few things clear about the way that I'm approaching Where this. Yes. Here we're we like, go. How how much are we in? Are we 10 minutes in? Or are we 15 minutes in where you have the self-disclosure? Very, this we are problematic. we are all the way in. Here we go. Um Ouch. I I approach this idea. So first of all, to me, the core of this is this thing about intimacy or engagement. Engagement. Okay. okay. And that is that is that's at the core of her argument. And I think that for you know, most most all of us who have just you know cozied up to a particular song or a particular album or something, something have established a real connection, intimate with, connection with this with music. This resonates. This is real. Okay, so I think that what she's talking about is significant and important. But I also think that there's a very there's a big gap between where she's coming from and where uh, I'm coming from. And then just out of necessity, even more so where you're coming from here. Right. And that is that she's younger than we are. And yeah. she says that, um, you know, there's, there's no mention here of the physical artifact other than buying a used CD to instantly rip it. Okay. Uh, she talks briefly about if she really, really loves something, she'll wait for um, the record, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you if I love passage. something enough, I'll try right. and get the record if it's out of print. So th there is a nod to the physical artifact for her, but in a way, um, it's too early to bring in Adorno at this point. I'm going to um, back away. <laughs> I'm going to say that <laughs> I, I feel like she's coming at this as a digital native who grew up and just understood okay. and established her relationship with music uh, in, in digital formats. Right. Um, that's I, I came alive. My first, my first albums were on vinyl uh, because that's what it was. Uh, there were no CDs, right. I am one of those kids who rewound tapes by sticking it over a pencil and spinning it mm -hmm. around because you're, you know, that that's, that, that was how you did it. Cause something else was playing. Um, mm -hmm. So, there's a tension for me already with her demonization of that's not she's not demonizing streaming for her preference right, but she is doing a binary right that that's what i was trying to set I, up i, I struggle right? to understand An opposition An yes opposition. i i so for her engagement and convenience are at odds okay Very that's 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 the tension here and uh, I'm looking at this and the irony for me is that music in the way that she seems to own it and engage with it is mm -hmm. digital, which if we're mm -hmm. talking about convenience is mm -hmm. infinitely more convenient than what you and I likely went through. I had to get up and run across the room and find the record in a stack I had to go 
search through my car to find a cassette tape, not sure where it was. You'd mm -hmm. open up the case for the tape and it wasn't there or the wrong tape was in mm -hmm. the wrong case. You know, there was there was a total lack of convenience. Now, to this point, I want to say that I'm doing the same thing she's saying. I am romanticizing the frustration or the chore, the inconvenience of mm -hmm. listening to music. So I get what she's saying, but from my perch... Mm -hmm. I, I struggle and I'm going to, so I'm going to toss this back to you because I, I, I think that you are, are more um, level headed than I am when it comes to these things, perhaps more, more, more well, tempered. Hardly, um, I struggle to see the distinction that would result in some sort of intimacy. I don't understand how you create intimacy without the physical artifact. Um, when it, so before this episode, before this episode even began, Michael and I were talking about, you know, things we wanted to bring up and in, in relation to this argument. And I said, I am, uh, I wanted to sort of talk through the um, article, the short uh, op-ed, using some of the terminologies that Bernard Siegler uses. But before I do that, I'm fascinated. I kind of want to return to the, the your discussion thread, the discussion thread you just created, Michael. And I had a, a non-rhetorical question in the sense that I don't know the answer of it. And I kind of want to think through it with you. Okay. Um, do you think, okay, let's divorce Lou's framework from some of Lou's own personal narrative. Okay. Let's just, let's just think of one of the arguments that she makes in isolation from, she gives a lot of her biographical history. By the way, I have to say this. I am very much on Lou's side because she, like me, got suckered by the dirty projectors. Uh, and she got, she bought that god-awful double disc set. She must have bought it as a double disc. Um and she regrets it now. And so I'm mm. automatic. I have to say I'm automatically on Denise uh, Lou's side. Yeah. And but to be clear, I'm not oppositional. I'm just <laughs> I. Thanks, Barry. <laughs> I like her. What's your problem? Um, no, 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 no. Actually, that my, here was my point. I got off on the dirty projectors point and I and I obscured my own point. Uh, my point is that this essay is full of a lot of interesting to me, um, you know, personal reflections about her own personal encounter, history with music. But I wanted to uh, us to talk about, uh, and I just was still pondering a question that you raised, like, divorce it from what Lou says and Lou's personal history and her anecdotes. Do you think there's something to that argument that convenience is detrimental to intimacy i do and i also and i'm going to come right back to it but i want to say one i want to just back oh up sure for one second of course of course i think that there's a larger question here that i want to see if we can come back around to at the end okay so the question about convenience and intimacy i'm going to get to in a second but the question mm -hmm. i think that i want to look at here and I think we're only going to be able to look at it at the end is whether or not 
a lack of physicality portends it, it I don't want to say it. whether or not a lack of physicality is going to be detrimental to our ability to feel intimacy because yeah that's a significant question like i'm suspecting here now and i don't know again i could be the cranky old man who just wants everybody off my lawn right i'm trying to get us i'm trying to get this i'm trying to get our discussion out of the generational matrix in the sense that as you know as you already stated um we're both older than her yeah and so I'm trying to lift, and me, a hell of a lot older than him. So um, I'm trying to lift these ideas outside of that generational matrix, because I think if we get in there, we're not going to do her justice or our No, justice, that's fair. I just, but that's yeah. something that just, that's a question I do want to look at at the end. But to your point, to your question about whether or not, how did you, whether or not convenience. Well, let, let me actually, uh, rather than restate it, I actually think you got to the nub of my question, which you said, actually, Michael, I'm going to ask that we talk about uh, not this question at the end, not at the end, but right now, because I feel that you reframed and reformulated my question better than my question. I think what I was asking you, was precisely what you said, I want to talk about it at the end. But no, okay, I want you to talk about it now. Because that is, I think, the, the central nub of this argument. Detaching it from our matrix, detaching these arguments from our matrix, our own particular experience of music, which was tied toward our age, and her experience of music, which is tied to her age. What do we think about the general proposition that unless things have a material manifestation, including music, mm-hmm. right? Now, now, it's tricky with music because obviously music is immaterial. Nonetheless, music has tons of material manifestations. And I think the question I'm, I'm rolling over in my head that's kind of central to Lou, um, and we can take from Lou, it's the question you and you fra- you framed it well, just like what do we think of the general proposition that music that if you detach music entirely from material accoutrements, it is no longer something we can retain, and therefore we can't get intimate with. I'm think I'm fascinated by that metaphor of intimacy. Like so, what is it, what does it mean to be intimate with music? It just means, I mean, what does that even mean? I think that means you're you have an association of music with a material thing. And let me just, you know, I'm going to pose the question to you, but maybe it will be helpful to you and to everybody if I give you my sort of first answer to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think, and until you argue me out of it, and you could because I'm I'm spitballing here. Um, I do think that she has her finger on something really important and that really what is worrying her, because you had already mentioned this and you, you read this part of the article to the readers. There was a weird, there's a weirdness. I won't call it a contradiction, but there's certainly something kind of odd in that uh, Lou says, 
I don't like the Spotify algorithm. But on the other hand, she says, I'm good with I the YouTube algorithm. I, I totally dig the YouTube algorithm. Okay. So I wonder if the algorithm is really what's at stake here. Mm. I wonder if what's really bothering her and us, or if it's worth everybody to get bothered about, I guess that's what I'm asking you, is this the primary question of, do you need a material object of some a, a third person proxy? But the person is not a person, it's an mm -hmm. object. Mm -hmm. uh, do you need an object proxy to mediate, to create intimacy with music? Okay, so I want, so first of all, I think my simple answer to this is a resounding emphatic no. Okay. You don't, okay? And if you think about it, um, there are all sorts of songs that I love. And when I hear them bring me to a particular place or a particular moment that I've never owned, that I've just heard on the radio or I've heard in- Really? Right? That's so, interesting. So, so you go about that. You think about one of the, I think, most powerful examples of this is the, the live performance, right? You walk in, you see a show, you have your mind and blown and your spirit moved and you walk out and you just have that moment, that, that memory of this, right? Like there's no yeah. artifact to it. So no, I don't think that you need any sort of physical artifact to have intimacy. You simply need a moment. Okay. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. this, so in that way, her, her argument fills fits perfect. I got, I have no issue with this. I think she's on to something here in the fact that we can have an intimate relationship with music that we don't own. So we, we, I think we've also gotten at the core. Can I, can I say something without, and this is absolutely not disagreeing with you. It's, it's how like I'm disagreeing with you and I'm absolutely not disagreeing with you because I, you know how I'm not disagreeing with you? Because I agree with you. What you just said about the live performance. Okay. What you just said about live performance and how that's a real memory. Mm -hmm. uh, how could I disagree with that? I totally agree with it. Yeah, because you've still, had your mic like, blown off before. Yeah, yeah. But still, I would answer the same question You know that I asked you. I would answer no. And even the example of live performance, where, like I said, I'm, 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 I'm consonant with you. I'm with you. But here's the thing. And maybe this is just a function of my, maybe generations are coming back into it here because it's one of the things that frustrates me about live shows is that my memory of live shows has very little content. I am not one of those, and maybe this just points to a subjective personal deficiency, but even the shows that I love, 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 I try to retain the details. That is not, I don't, that is not a contradiction that, that, that fits this because we're talking about intimacy here. Okay. Yeah. Intimacy, as I think she's talking about it, certainly mm -hmm. as I'm talking about it mm -hmm. is not about a record of what happened it's about an emotional response emotional affect it's about affect. okay and i'll yeah, give you yeah, a perfect yeah. example so okay. uh, a couple months ago um my wife and i went and saw 
one of the greatest rock and roll band, one of the greatest American rock and roll bands currently making music. We went and saw the drive-by truckers mm-hmm. and you've seen them. Yeah, I have. Okay. It is just an absolute sonic onslaught. It is, it is the rock show. And, mm-hmm. um, Kat's not a big truckers fan. She's incredibly accommodating to my music, right? Much more so than I am to hers. Like, let's go see a show. Okay, fine. So we go see a show. So we go in. She doesn't know any of the music at all, right? Like she hasn't heard any of it. Um, We come out and she just looks at me and she's like, that was awesome, right? Mm -hmm. That was absolutely awesome. And we've talked about it a few times since, like that was a good show. That was a great show. So there's this connection she has, right? With something that she doesn't know. It's just a moment. And she okay. can't have granular how times, details. How many times yeah. you've been like, oh, you know, song comes on the radio when we listened to radio and like, oh, mm-hmm. I love this song. I don't know any of it. And I've got all the words wrong. How many people sing the words wrong? Okay. So it's not about knowing or having an accurate record of something. It's about having an emotional response to something. And I don't think that the accuracy or fidelity of that response met to, to the original right to the actual source material matters one bit because ultimately intimacy is a personal thing. So I'm good. I think what, I don't think what you said complicates my position. I don't think we need that. My question for you, and this is something I just don't understand. (laughs) Okay. Mm -hmm. Is that, what is the distinction? And this is where ownership becomes relevant here. What is the distinction between listening to music that is streamed and listening to music that you technically own as a series of ones and zeros on electronic devices? So if I the alternative to what's the difference between the music? What's the difference between the music and my iTunes stream and the music I stream? I, and, and and how does that difference matter in terms of intimacy? That's what I cannot figure out about this. I don't understand. And, I, you know, she's like, I don't like how streaming feels like I'm borrowing something. Right, right, right. To me, if I say, okay, you're borrowing something, but it's akin to like borrowing something from somebody and say, I'll get this back to you soon. And they say, look, hold on to it for as long as you'd like, right? Sure, I don't own it in the sense that I don't have any sort of legal right to this, but I've got it as long as I want it. Okay, well, I'm going to, so now I think I'm in the uh, position, uh, structural position of doing the defense of Lou. So I'm going to do that in two ways. I'm going to do that in two respects. Who I want to uh, make clear is not under attack. I'm just trying who to understand. Is so not a tri- under attack. Okay. And and my defense is not a defense against your attack. How about that? That's that's good. I like that's it. what we I want to say. All even our- though I use that word defense, it's it's hyperbole because you're not attacking. So there's that. But I have two comments to yep. make. Uh, two, or rather, I'm going to try to reformulate some of her concerns, and you tell me whether you think. It's a just reformulation if you think I'm off the mark, things like that. But 
That's actually what I'm doing. Rather than defending, I'm going to try to translate or reformulate some of her, what I think are her key concerns. So let me do the first one. Um, and I suppose this transposition amounts to a little bit of a defense in this. You're talking about borrowing. You, the way you just described it a moment ago, Michael, you're talking about music. Okay, I borrow the Yes album or mm -hmm. Close to the Edge from Spotify. Now, as you point out, in most cases, that's a weird, it's kind of weird to use the word borrow from that because Yes gave their music to Spotify. Right. Until there's some sort of weird contractual obligation or until they start, until all the members start talking, you know, stuff against COVID vaccines, chances are <laughs> go totally right wing on us. Chances are that borrow is going to last a long time. But I guess this is a bit of a question for you. But you and I know that she's not totally wrong. I mean, the, her her fears about bur about borrowing are not totally groundless. I dare say, for most of the music that she is listening to, including her hated "Dirty Projectors," mm -hmm. you know, it's a stretch to call that borrowing that you're borrowing it on Spotify because barring nuclear attacks or, like I said, you know, "Dirty Projectors" going on Joe Rogan. Well, it's also the borrow is the borrow is semi eternal. So. Uh, but things do get pulled once right. you're talking and there is an echelon of music that either a never gets on Spotify or once pulled never comes back. That's right. But so she has a, a concern, of, but, right? I mean, is right. that behind her fear? Yeah, but I don't her anxiety maybe, but isn't, what are the odds that that music is going to get pulled from Spotify, removed from YouTube, and then also obliterated uh, or or otherwise just completely removed from any other sort of place that she might stream it? Are those odds really any better than her, um, you know, deleting <laughs> it from her phone by her accident? deleting it from by her phone? No, very good point. You know what I'm thinking? Tell me if you agree with this. As I was tr making this defensive argument, I'm wondering whether or not music is a bad example, that the real example that would be where borrowing, you know, here's a, I could think in the visual realm in terms of film or television programs. Probably. I think in case. visual content, I think her argument about borrowing would have a lot of weight. Let me, let me say this, though. Her focus again is on intimacy and there is a specific and special intimacy with music that sure. speaking for myself, I don't have. Now I will say though, recently I have come into a situation where I bought an <laughs> album because I could not get it anywhere else. It wasn't on Spotify. It wasn't anywhere else. So she's not wrong. This is a thing that is, it's happened to me in the past month, but it's happened to me once in the past month. It's also happened to me once in the past like 10 years. 10 years, right, right. So does that inability to get that one thing really mean streaming is a block to intimacy? It, I, I don't well, see that. And I don't, well, but again, I just don't see the difference. I'm, I'm hoping 
that we can use some sort of because maybe here we go let's let's invoke our friend marshall McLuhan. is the medium the message here is this simply a case of because she's concerned with band camp she's concerned with the uh musicians getting paid and somehow that means that spotify doesn't adequately compensate the musicians for their work and therefore the algorithm is dirty but if that's the case how is YouTube okay? Right, right. Well, I think to be fair to you, I'm glad you brought that up because I think to be fair to you, uh, to Lou, uh, and you know, she doesn't have time to write a length. She, no. So some of the arguments get a little bit clotted. And, and there are a couple arguments actually here, as you pointed out. There's an ethical argument against the algorithm that seems to be at, at some point she makes ethical arguments against streaming and that at other point and, and, and sort of invokes this idea of a more eth ethical or equitable mode of consumption and production. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that gets a little bit conflated with the other arguments. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So, um, okay. Was there another thing you want to bring up? I'll do, do my second transposition, which okay. is less of a defense. But I'm going to transpose some of her terms into Stieglerese, Bernard Stieglerese. And in so doing, I'm going to try to give what I think is the best possible version of this argument. So I guess in that sense, I'm advocating for her, but I don't know. We'll see. I, I make this, I do this transition at this time because I'm, connecting to a word you just used about intimacy because that's clear this idea that music seems to naturally organically call forth or elicit this kind of um, intimate response that's obviously kind of key to her mm -hmm. uh, to her understanding of music and to her kind of phenomenology in music it's also what she worries in a word or two it's what she worries that streaming music through its um, omnipresence and its sheer convenience kind of dulls. It dulls mm. our intimacy. The convenience and easy use tends to uh, is a block against or, or deters us from having a more hinders our more intimate relationship with music. So what if we. I'll try and translate this just um, Stiegler's terms, in particular using the term of tertiary, uh, Stiegler's term, tertiary retention. Now, it's a complex concept, but uh, I'll try and do a shorthand version of it. Tertiary retention, basically in Stiegler, stands for the tools we use to enable us to remember things. And, and this is, part of Stiegler's major argument that tools are kind of, this is one way in which he um, equates or correlates with everyone's favorite uh, Bruno Latour and that for, for Stiegler, uh, technological is not external to the human. It actually helps create mm -hmm. the human and it creates the human because most of our tools are our memory if they're if they're not tertiary they're tertiary retentions which means 
they're memory keepers uh, in the sense that um, in, a, in a very broad sense, the hammer stands for a kind of know-how, right? It's a tool that at the one and the same time also it's a material manifestation of human memory. Like, you know, this is a tool that allowed humans to do this in the past. And when you hold that hammer, you're in that longer lineage of human accomplishment um, that you don't have to remember because the tool is there doing the remembering for you. Is that is that a fair, you know, so I'm trying to underscore and, and illuminate um, the, the close proximity between tools, these material objects, and something that's on our insides, right. memories, our cognitive right. capacities. Um, so, and this is, the, that's another important aspect of tertiary retention for Stiegler, that in a way, tools are not, they, yes, they retain memory, but it's not a retention of memory on the individual level merely. It's a retention of the collective memory, right? It's a collective memory device. Okay. Did I do okay with that? Do you have anything you want to add? I want to see where you're going with this because there's an interesting sort of mm -hmm. paradox in her position that speaks to this. So, <laughs> okay. Well, I, I was going to, I was going to get away from Stiegler now uh, and go to Lou. And so uh, to your point. Okay. Lou's version of tertiary retention, the collective memory device that, is giving her problems. Mm -hmm. In this case, the collective memory device, the, tertiary, the tertiary retention that she's struggling with um, is the archive, is the musical archive is embodied in a YouTube or in more particularly in the massive online music library uh, of Spotify or any of these music streaming platforms. Okay. It seems that the very existence of the tertiary retention of the archive is one of the things that gets in the way of uh, that, that she feels blocks our memories or it, 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 in a weird way, for her, the tertiary retention is never really a tertiary retention because in order to remember in her view, in order to truly remember you have to have a mass, you have to have contributed to the archive. You don't participate in the archive. You don't use the archive. You had to have built the archive. So she has this really kind of substantial concern with the archive. And what I think she's trying to do here, now it may be foolishly ambitious, but it's a question about whether or not the, the wish is foolish. What she seems to want to do is replace the tertiary retention device of Spotify with acts of individual collecting or hoarding or gathering, right? Mm -hmm. And she feels that act of gathering, uh, it, now that's a tool too. I was going to say the problem here, the contradiction, and you're right. I think she is resisting. So the tertiary retentions are memories 
that are technologically aided or enabled. And the thing about it, right, is that they extend- It's impersonal. It's they, impersonal. How can it be exactly. in It's impersonal. It's impersonal. But beyond being impersonal, mm -hmm. they're like extra personal, right? It, it extends well beyond our own experiences. Capacities, even, yeah. Right? So there's the contradiction there because while she's very much not comfortable with that, what is the music on her computer other than a tertiary retention? These are technologically enabled. And when we're talking about this, I think you and I are thinking about this. And I think that the, the sort of lazy way of approaching this, not calling you lazy, but is to think about tertiary retentions as digital things. But this gets us all the way back to Adorno with his dislike of the phonograph, right? Where, well, at least this technological intervention saves music from the people who are trying to ruin the theater. So we have that, hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, but, but, but music is always technologically enabled. Right. Like mm -hmm. the recorded mm -hmm. music is always going to be anything of other course. than a live show is going to be a tertiary retention. But when we think of this in terms of MP3, MP3s and streaming music and mm -hmm. an arc, you know, uh, an archive that is held on Spotify servers versus an archive that sits on our own personal hard drives. Um, I'm just the, the difference here seems to be rooted in some sort of agency where she's able to say yeah yes the agency of collecting i think of, it's very well, much right choice yeah. right of yeah, right, i right, chose to right, hear this song right, rather than right, you playing it for me right. regardless of whether or not it's the same darn song i think that's a good critique of lou's position that she ironically seems to be putting a lot of burden on individual agency. I bought this, I own this, and that shows it's significant because I chose to have it. And she doesn't she refer to it this way? Like, I chose to have this in my personal collection. There's a lot of volition here, a lot of agency, maybe an exaggerated notion of agency. What do you think? No, I think that's right. Because what's the difference between clicking a few times and having music magically appear on your hard drive and clicking a few times and magically having music appear in a playlist? For yeah, 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 yeah. You know, this, and again, I, I I fully understand I'm approaching this from a different perspective, but God, I would love to understand this, whether there's some sort of like, because I've paid for this directly to the artist, as opposed to paying Spotify for this or whomever, that that is more pure and then it's a cleaner intimacy I don't well I don't... she she is hoping about this is getting back to the point we were making a moment ago that she's putting a lot of burden on her on acts of consumption and and uh so that she imagines better ways of consuming music like she I think she would answer uh well that is a better way to do it to go to Bandcamp 
and spend my money in that way is better than because it is more just toward the musicians, more ethically responsible towards toward the musical ecology. Toward the uh, so are we are we then are we then arguing (laughs) that intimacy, in order to be legitimate, has to be ethical? Well, I think that's one of the strands of her argument. Yeah. Now you could say that maybe and is yeah. something like Spotify somehow unethical. I mean these are these these Well there'd be a lot of musicians who do say that. Right? Now, to me I think the complication is she's making this argument that's putting finally too much burden on or too much yeah too much philosophical burden on our individual acts and decisions in relation to music you know she thinks she has a lot of agency by by choosing what she puts in or puts you out know, or what she discards from her thing let's let's try this slipper on and see if it fits here yeah because i think maybe i just i think i may have so Stiegler talks about amateurism, right? And the idea behind the amateur as opposed to the professional has to do with the love, right? The the willingness to do something on your own and away as opposed to doing something that fits with your station and that is a part of your professional identity. And I wonder if spending money is as opposed to make, like, I wonder if this, if paying for an archive that is smaller, but is, I don't want to say it's more customized because the the customization, like the algorithm will customize for you. It's a different kind of personal, it's a different kind of, um, it's a different more intimate kind of personality maybe right? it's 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 more intimate because of what it isn't yes right yes. and so i wonder if what she's really talking about is establishing this emotional connection with something that is imperfect that is lacking but is fully and wholly of your creation right and if that's the case then what we've got is the, you know, the I, I guess the the digital version here of an amateur um, pursuit in Stiegler's terms. I I love your I love that observation, um, and I especially like your point that I think is really congruent with what Lucy seems to be proposing here. It's actually the imperfections and the gaps that create the intimacy. That, that create the intimacy. So the whole point of it is that it's imperfect and idiosyncratic. Yes, and not an archive. So, so the archive is imper- We still have a binary, right? The yeah. archive is is an impersonal thing. The archive approaches perfection. Yes, exactly. And the archive fills the whole point. Let's fill in all the gaps. Right. And so this is what, maybe this is what we're talking when she's talking about convenience. 
we're not talking about having to have my phone near me to play it. We're talking about the gaps and the absences that are inconvenient, as in I was unable to get this. And it doesn't have to be much. And that is the digital version of me reaching in the back seat of my car, grabbing the tape case, pulling it out and finding it's empty. It's, it's, it's got empty. The wrong tape. Yeah. Yeah. I think here's the thing that she is, she doesn't say it, but I think this is what she, this is the, I think you put your finger on the, the nub here. The nub is that there, the, the grounding assumption is that the perfect collection is imperfect. The perfect relation to music is flawed. Mm-hmm. The per there is this hole in it that represents our personality, and if you fill in the hole, you make it more like the archive. You make it more perfect. You fill in the gaps. You erase intimacy, and you erase the personality that she wants to sort of create. So I like it. I like it. Uh, but. Do you think it's an exaggeration? Okay, so I think we try to we try to uh, I think that that's a good sort of translation of uh, Lou's arguments into the Stiegler lens. I think now we're ready for the the wrap up questions. Mm-hmm. Is, so, what do we think about that? Is this an important counter? Is she basically? I'll put it this way, Michael. Here's the final question. She seems to want us all to become amateurs. She wants to become an amateur again, even though, as you also pointed out, she's a digital native and she's more, even though she is resisting it, she knows full well the the pleasures and the automatic luxuries of the, of the digital world and of the offered by the algorithm. She's consciously sort of retreating from that. Uh, but, and, and she wants to recover the world of the amateur, the emotional world of the amateur, the amateur's appreciation of music in a professionalized age. Here's, here's the thing. So do we, do we buy it? Do we buy it? Under certain circumstances, I think we do. I suspect that this argument that we're, that she's made here falls apart if you listen to bubblegum pop music. If you listen to whatever is being stuffed down your throat, um, this falls apart because it this the 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 music that is just truly ubiquitous problematizes her position here, right? If it's everywhere all the time, then this question then it intimacy, better be on streaming. It better right, be on streaming. Then you have, but I suspect that. This idea, because that that will always be perfect. It will always be readily available for you because that is music that exists solely to be consumed on massive on a massive scale. If, however, you have a collection that is legitimately imperfect, if you have an archive, personal archive, that is inconvenient, that has holes that you cannot fix with a simple click, then I think that you do have intimacy because what I'm taking from this is that intimacy, and I think this become, this was one of the questions we started with, right? Convenience versus engagement, right? If 
you and I, I, I'm assuming that we're talking about engagement as a parallel term to intimacy. If you have a perfect archive, then it's very difficult to have this intimacy because there's no lack, there's no wanting, right? Whereas if you have uh, these holes, then the physicality is irrelevant. I still struggle with the difference between listening to music that I technically own versus listening to music that I'm technically borrowing. I don't understand that. But in terms, and other than just saying, look, I'm going to remove myself from the algorithm entirely. And that's what she's done, right? She says, I don't listen to streaming music. So if you can somehow wall yourself off from that, then I get it. And I think this works. I don't think ownership matters because then my concern is irrelevant because there is no listening to music that you don't own. Um, and I think that's her point, right? She's like, I don't, I don't indulge in this. I don't have I don't either want, or. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what I think of this position because. I just don't understand why you would do that to yourself though. Well, I think what she's doing is speaking for an, and I, I'm not sure, I, I'm not sure how I relate to this argument. The thing that I find most powerfully relatable about her argument is a kind of is something that she doesn't fully articulate, which is this idea that you need material stuff to build memories. But she she doesn't really land in that argument or maintain that argument. So I'm I'm not sure exactly what to do with some of the other bits of her argument. Um, I would say this though, I think the anxieties that she, uh, I think that consciously or no, and I think she actually is very conscious of it. I would say consciously, she is drawing attentions to some anxieties that probably, like you said, they they don't bother the pop music listener, mm -mm. where ease and convenience really have to be the main criteria, right? Mm -hmm. Ease and convenience, and also freeness, right? It's free. All those things. <clears throat> but any listener who styles themselves, and she does, as a kind of sophisticated, uh, not naive, serious listener, quote unquote, mm -hmm. I think that, you know, there is a question of what to do with the fact that we have these technological means of technological retention, uh, of tertiary retention, that preserve everything which we've never had these tools with this power and capacity before. And it does, I think it unnerves anybody who has tastes that are not merely popular tastes. I think mm -hmm. it makes everybody nervous. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what this, I think that's what she's expressing. And she's fair. I was about to say she's doing it unconsciously, but she is fairly conscious about it. And insofar I think that it's explaining the other tendency in this essay. I think you see a lot of conflicting tendencies. One of them you see is this idea that you sense that what she would really like to do is get away from the algorithm entirely. Yes. But as, as you point out, she doesn't go there. Mm -mm. But, but you can sense like a lot of unresolved tensions and anxieties here uh, that, that, you know, that's one big one. The YouTube Spotify. You know what it is? You know what it might be? Yeah. 
the difference between Spotify and YouTube is that with something like YouTube, you still have to go down the rabbit hole on your own. You have a measure of control in choosing to click here versus there, as opposed to simply being led. Ultimately, I think that her march towards intimacy is absolutely tied up in agency that if you are fed something well put it is not intimate you have to have some sort of active role in this and i think that's Uh, her argument well put that's what i was trying to say earlier when i was mentioning and i didn't articulate it as well as you did this idea that she's putting a lot of privilege and, and, and purpose in her acts of consumption and her choices. Yeah. Yeah. And that's right. it. And I think that that's, that's really tantamount to intimacy here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very nicely done, sir. Well, well, as we always, congratulate ourselves, but what do our listeners think? So. Yeah. Well, post, uh, tell us, tell absolutely. us what side you're on. Are you on yeah. the side of the archive? Well, we're all you on the side of the archive. Into- it's how you dance with the archive. Yeah, really. it's how you dance with you. Barry, thank you. This was good. I enjoyed it. And uh, I thank look you, forward Michael. to next time. Thank you, Michael. Me too. All right. See you soon. Thanks for listening to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. To find out more about the show, check out our webpage at criticalmediastudiespodcast.com.